Okay, without further ado, let me introduce Steve Morris. Where is Steve? Here he is. Let's give a round of applause, Steve Morris. Yeah. Let's just pray for Steve. Dear God, we just want to thank you for Steve. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his example. Thank you for his love of your word. Thank you for his love for young people. And I just pray, just give him authority now as he speaks, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. It's great to be here, guys. Um, so my accent is from East London. I'm originally from East London. Um, I've lived in Essex. I was on the border there, Chafford 100. Some of you are here. I know that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well done. That was your cue. Um, and I now live in South Africa with my wife. Um, we live in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, was there a, chow- a shout for Cape Town? Oh, hello. Hello. I'm a little bit busy now, but we'll catch up afterwards. No problem at all. Um, so I, uh, I was thinking of when I was like 15. I was a little bit older than you guys. Um, only, only a little bit, but there's a picture of me when I was 15, if it comes up on the screen. Um, this is my school photo, okay? So it's my school photo when I was 15. My wife took a picture of it the other day um, on the Madfist. I know, there you go. That's a picture of a picture, okay? I know I was stunningly good looking at that age, all right? And, um, and my friends and I had a plan, okay? It was the last day of school. Now, on the last day of school, we, we just thought, like, we've got a home run here. Like, you can't get excluded from school on the last day, okay? So I'm not encouraging you to think like that, but that was my, my mindset was, you cannot get excluded from school on the last day, right? So we thought, let's just go for it and do something really, really funny. Let's just try it. And, and obviously, we were really trying to impress people. And I want to be honest with you. I was trying to impress the girls, okay? And there was one specific girl that I was trying to impress. I'm not going to say her name in case she listens to this somehow at some day, but there was one girl that I was very specifically trying to impress. So this is a plan that we came up with. And those of you who have even heard me talk ever will know, I struggle with camping, right? I make lots of mistakes, and, and, uh, and I made a, a camping mistake. This is a new one for some of you, right? What we decided to do, our school had a field that was a mile long, okay? If you ran around the field, you had to go and run for a mile. It backed onto the West Ham training ground, all right? So you'd get sent off if you were naughty, you'd have to go and run around the field, and you could see the footballers training. And we thought what we would do is camp out on our school field overnight before the last day of school. So we broke in through some bushes. There's a big, big bush on the side. We put up tents and we camped out late at night over. And then in the morning, we snuck off to our rival school in the area, right? We were in Romford and we snuck off to our rival school and we took a a screws and we unscrewed their school sign, okay? We took off their school sign and we took it back to our school and we put it over the top of our school sign. So we took off and we... And then we screwed it on. We were serious, right? We were hardcore. We wanted to change the whole school. We broke into the school and we moved all of the desks around in the, in the area. We moved all of the lockers around, in our, in our, only in our class. We thought it was hilarious, okay? I know you don't find it that funny right now, but it was hilarious, okay? And then I, bear in mind that the job that I had was to impress this one girl. Now, she had camped over in another tent, right? That was a great sign that she might date me. Okay, that she had been prepared to camp. I was like, this is it. This is the last day of school. This is my chance. This is our moment when I can do it. And for some reason, when I was that age, and when you saw that photo, I don't do it anymore. But for some reason, when I was that age, I thought the way to be the funniest person and the most impressive person was to do a Mooney. Do you know what a Mooney is? 
Oh, I know. Oh, right? So I thought the funniest thing ever. And in our yearbook, in our yearbook, this has gone, there's a picture of me doing a Mooney in our, on a front page of our yearbook, right? So this was kind of what I was known for. And I thought, this is guaranteed to help this girl to date me. We have stolen a sign. We have made everybody laugh. We have made the teachers' lives a nightmare for the morning because they've had to rearrange all of the stuff around. So it's only my friends and this beautiful young girl in the class and I jumped onto the table and I said last thing we're just going to do a Mooney and I pulled down my pants my, uh, not my pa- well yeah my pants and my trousers and I, and I just showed my bum like this and everyone just went quiet and I thought that wasn't quite the impact I thought it would have like usually people laugh right don't do it I mean it's not funny I just want you to know it's not funny okay I'm not advocating Mooney and if anybody of you do it it's nothing to do with me it's all on you okay because I'm Mooney and then my best mate comes to me and he's like, Steve, no, no. And I'm seeing him in like slow-mo, like, no, no, no. It's a camping mistake. What is the mistake that I had made in the morning in my rush to go and get the signs, to undo the tents, to go and mess up all the things? I had rushed to go to the toilet and I had not wiped my bottom properly. I know. And I had left paper in my bottom my bum paper in my bum I have then mooned to show to impress the girl of my dreams that I'm gonna date on the last day of school and there is a piece of poo paper hanging from my bum it's not cool it's not cool everything else had gone so well we had been so funny We had impersonated another school. We had cracked funny jokes. We had done everything that would have set this up, that she would finally believe that I was cooler than my mates, that I would be a great guy to date. And then I go and show poo paper. There is no... I just want to tell you, this is why you shouldn't, Mooney. It has a high risk factor for going wrong, okay? There is nothing you can say that will ever get you out of that. There is... Try and just think of some of the jokes you can make. Yeah, there's none. There's no jokes. There's no jokes. All you have to do is humbly get down off the table, pull up your trousers, go to the toilet, and fix your problems. That was all that was left for me to do. And I remember when I was, when I was 15, I just, I just wished at that point I, I had been somebody else. I wish it was cool. I wish, I wish it was possible in life. Do you ever wish this? That it was possible in your life to do an immediate Photoshop. Like, not in a photo, like in actual life. You could press pause and just change a few things, quickly pull out the paper, tidy myself up. It was funny. Make her laugh. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I was going to say tickle her, but that's weird. Don't do that. Just don't do that stuff. I was weird, okay? And, I, and, I, and, the, and the idea was I just constantly wanted to be somebody else. I constantly wanted to try and, and portray to everybody that I was this person that I wasn't. I was constantly putting out there that I, that I was somebody that I wasn't. And I, was, I, I, just, I just got caught up in this idea of trying to portray to everybody that I was cool or that I was funny or that you could like me or that you should date me or, or all, of, all of these ideas that I would project out there. And it's taken me ages to realize that when I came to church, I didn't have to act in the same way. 
It took me ages to realize that when I came to church, I didn't have to act in the same way. We're going to do a series uh, together of the parables. We're going to go through the stories that Jesus told, the parables that Jesus told. And Jesus tells parables to help us to understand the kingdom of God. He tells us parables to help us understand what it's like where Jesus is king. Now, I said to you that I I live in South Africa, okay? I live in Cape Town. Cape Town is known as the mother city in in South Africa, okay? It's a beautiful place. And um, there's a video here which was shot as the tourist video for Cape Town. So this is a video they've shot to try and encourage you to Cape Town. So this is where I currently live, and um, they're going to be. It's about a minute and a half that gives you a promo of what it's like to live in Cape Town. Can we roll the video? Cape Town, doesn't it? Make sure to come, right? You, you get an overview of it and you feel like, wow. And this is like the parables are to give you an overview of what it's like where Jesus is king. Now, in, in South Africa, we have a president, all right? In the UK, we have a prime minister and we understand that they have authority. Now, wherever these parables are being told so that you understand wherever we give Jesus authority, this is what it can look like. This is what the kingdom of heaven can look like. If we could pull down a video of what heaven would look like on earth, if we could show a highlight reel, these parables were the stories that were told so we'd understand what Jesus is about, what it's like in his kingdom, what it's like in, a, in, 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 a, in, in his world where he is Lord. And, uh, and the parables we're going to go through each different day are going to give us a different snapshot. And, uh, and today's is called the Pharisee and the tax collector. And each day we're going to look, what's the theme? What was, what was the theme that Jesus was trying to talk us about? Who are the key characters? And what does that tell us about God? Like, what would that, why would that even interest me? Like, why would that make any difference in my life? And today's is a Pharisee and a tax collector. It's from Luke chapter 18. It said this, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes of everything that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He hit his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I wonder what you dream of doing when you're 15. I know, I know it was my dream to date that girl when I was 15. It was my dream to impress my mates. Now, I was wondering who, who's done the most impressive, uh, you know, who's lived the most impressive life when they were 15. This guy was just slightly older, okay? And this is quite an old movie, all right? In 2002, they shot a movie, or they released a movie, and it was called Catch Me If You Can. How many of you have ever seen that movie? It doesn't... 
okay? Catch me if you can with Leonardo DiCaprio, right? That movie is a true story, and it follows the life of a guy called Frank Abagnale. Now, I'm just really interested in what he did in between the age of 16 to 18. Now, Frank was a very good fraudster. He was very good at impersonating other people. He was so good, in fact, he learned from a very young age to forge checks and, and cash them in and to make money illegally, all right? Now, he managed between the ages of 16 and 18 to forge a license that showed he could fly an aeroplane. Okay? Now that's pretty serious, correct? That itself would be quite impressive. When I was 18, I had a, uh, when I was 17, I had a fake ID that my mate forged that said I went to college that said I was 18 years old, right? Again, it was an attempt to impress people. But never in my wildest dreams would I think of forging a pilot's license to fly a plane. He then contacted them, contacted the airline and said, that he had lost his work uniform and they needed to send him a new one. So they did. They sent him a new one. Okay? So he's now in possession at the age of 16 of a uniform that says he's a pilot, of a forged license that says he is a pilot. So he pretended to be a Pan American World Airways pilot between the ages of 16 and 18. Now, if you were a pilot and he wanted to travel the world, there is something that you can do which is called deadheading. Deadheading is when you can fly on a plane as a pilot for free and you get to travel around the world because they assume that they are flying you to another airport so that you can fly another aeroplane back. In between the ages of 16 and 18, they estimate that Frank flew more than a million miles. A million miles. He took more than 250 flights and he flew to 26 countries. Not only did he fly to 26 countries between the ages of 16 to 18, in every country he went to, he expensed the bill to the airline. So he never paid for any hotel. He never paid for any food and drink that he ate. He never paid for the activities that he did between that age. Now, if it wasn't so wrong, I'm thinking genius, are you not? Later down the line, right, if you can't beat him, join him, right, the FBI just decide to employ the guy to catch other fraudsters because he's that good at fraud, right? He's flown all around the world, and at one moment, on one flight, because he's the pilot, guess what happens? The actual pilot says to him, you need to take the controls. Now, just imagine for a moment, you are 17 years old. I had not even come out of school. I couldn't even wipe my bum properly at that age. And he is given the controls to fly an aeroplane that was 30,000 feet in the air and had 140 people on it. Do you know what he did in that moment? He looked forward at the dashboard and he pressed the autopilot button. Because he knew he didn't know what he was doing. Later, he said he was very aware that he'd been handed custody of 140 lives, his own included, because at that time he couldn't even fly a kite. I hope you're all sitting comfortably. We now have a 17-year-old who cannot fly a kite, who's just taken the controls. Can you imagine? He was so good at fraud, so good at pretending to be someone he wasn't, that he went on to pretend to be a doctor and a lawyer and a teacher, all before the age of 18. 
Now, why am I reading this? Because in this parable that Jesus has told us, we've got two, two characters that are given to you, the Pharisee and the tax collector. They are two very different characters that are posed against each other. Okay? The Pharisees were known for being very religious. They were known for being faithful in prayer. They were known for being faithful in fasting. They were known for going the extra mile whenever it came to religion. They would set rules that would be beyond the normal rules so that they wouldn't break the rules. Does that make sense? So if you were told just to come to church on Sundays... They'd come to church Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to make sure that they didn't miss Sunday. That's how observant they were. That's how faithful they were at following the rules that they had made for themselves and making sure that they didn't miss a beat when it came to their religion. Then we have the, the, the tax collectors. They were seen as traitors. They were seen as fraudsters, traitors, working for the enemy. They were collecting money. They were working for the Romans, and they were collecting money off of their fellow Jews. They were making money off their own people, and everybody disliked them. If you were a tax collector in your family, you would disgrace your whole family. Your whole family would be disgraced. You could not even testify in court if you were a tax collector because you were known for being so dishonest that you couldn't testify in court. You couldn't give money in the synagogue. Now, I just want to suggest to you, things are really bad for you if you try and give money to church and they turn you down because they say that your money can't be trusted. We would take money from anyone and spend their money. I'll happily spend money in the church. I'm good with that, right? So things are going very bad for you. You are considered to be very, very, very untrustworthy if those are the things that are happening for you. So Jesus pictures this story where both of them come to the church to pray. Both of them come to the temple to pray. Everybody who's listening is expecting, well, he's going to praise the Pharisee right now. He's going to praise the Pharisee. And he ends up praising the tax collector. He ends up praising the one that everybody calls dishonest. He ends up praising the one who's forging his life, who's, who's making a living out of dishonesty. Because when he came before God, the tax collector could only beat his chest and say, have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. Have mercy upon me, Lord. I'm a sinner. When the one who thought he was right before God looked at everybody else and said, I'm so glad I'm so good. I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm so glad you can all see my life. I'm so glad you can all see I'm so good at prayer. I'm so glad you can all see I'm so good at reading the scriptures. I'm so glad you can all see I'm so good at going to, to, uh, to synagogue. And I must be right before God. I must be right before God. And the punchline is this, that God says it's the tax collector when he went home that was justified, which means was right was right before God. It was the tax collector. Why? Because God doesn't want your Photoshop life. God doesn't want your best impression, your best impersonation of being a Christian. I used to think that when I went to church, I just had to make it look good. My mum used to say to me two things. You can't wear a hat and you can't wear a football shirt in church. I've got no idea, even to this day at 35, why I can't wear a football shirt in church. It is not offensive to God that I'm an Arsenal fan. It's offensive to some of you. It's not offensive to God. You see, it's offensive to you, but I don't see why it's offensive to go to One day I had ripped jeans like this. They were ripped uh, all the way down because, again, I thought it looked good. I thought it looked cool. Do you know, my mum gave me a long trench coat because I had to go and give a notice in church. I beg to differ. Who looks weirder? Someone just in ripped jeans who comes up normally, was in their 20s, and talks, or someone who comes in an oversized jacket from a 60-year-old man to cover up their jeans and is wearing a trench. That looks far weirder, mum. I look very strange right now giving this notice up front. No one's going to come to the event that I'm announcing if I look like this, are they? Because it was all about looking good. 
It was all about playing the part. And you might have come to New Day and just think, I'm going to fake it until I make it. I'm just going to tell people the right answers. When they ask a question, I'm just going to say I'm doing all right. I'm just going to say that things are going okay. And I want to tell you right from day one, don't bring your Photoshopped life to God. Don't bring a Photoshopped version of what you've got. Bring your raw, honest questions. Bring your doubts. Bring those things that really concern you about the Scriptures when you read the Bible. Bring those things that you really don't understand and wrestle with them. Come before God in prayer every time you get the opportunity and ask the most honest things you can because it's then that we find ourselves being made right with God. God wants your absolute honesty, your brutal truth that you would bring to him. He wants you to bring it all out in prayer and worship. He wants you to bring it all up, store it all up and bring it there. Don't bring something that you know is fake and I know is fake. Strip right down and ask yourself, if you're standing here today and you're saying, I don't even know if this is true, then come to prayer before God and say, God, I don't know if this is true. I've been told my whole life this is true, but I don't know if this is true. Would you show yourself to me this week? And you'll leave this tent and God will hear your prayer. And over the week, I believe that it will speak to you. If you say, God, my, my, my school year, this whole year has been an absolute disaster. Why have you let that happen? Why has it been a disaster, God? Then bring your absolute honesty before God today. Don't stand and smile as over everything's okay. Come onto your knees if you want to. Like we said, raise your arms if you want to. If you feel overwhelmed with the goodness of God, then dance and then sing. Why would we wait until night three, to be honest? Those of you that have been to New Day know how this normally works. When we first come in, we're very, very kind of reserved. We, we, we're not too sure. We're, we're going for, by the end of the week, we're jumping up and down. We're like, I never want to go home. I love this. New Day. You've got the T-shirt on. You've got a CD. You've drunk more milkshakes than you know what to do with. And you really are going for it. I want to say to you right now on morning one, on day one of your experience of New Day, or day two of your experience of New Day, God wants to know what is on your heart. He's so interested in you. He knows every single hair on your head. He so longs to hear your honest prayers. Come this morning and give your honesty before God. Don't live a life like I did that was just there to impress other people. Go for it. This week, go for it. Decide to go in abandonment to God. Decide to give yourself in worship to God. Decide to give yourself to the word in God. Don't stand around and look at everybody else and compare yourself to everybody else. That's the sin of the Pharisee. That's the mistake the Pharisee makes. He's too worried about what everybody else is doing. And I understand that's something big for you to do. I get it. You've come with your mates. Maybe some of you have got a girl or a boy that you're trying to impress like I was. Maybe you've just got a reputation to keep up. Maybe you actually don't even know what this Christian stuff is all about and you're just hearing this for the first time. I realize I'm raising the bar for morning one, but I'm asking you to, in a second, jump to your feet. You're going to gather in a group with your mates around you or the people that you came with. Or if you came with your, on your own, you can either ask to join somebody else's group or we'll find a youth leader. One of our team with the orange shirts will come and pray with you. And I'm asking you one question this morning. If everything was stripped away, if it was just you and God in this room, if you could stare face to face with Jesus, who's Lord over this kingdom that he's talking to you about through the parables, if you could ask him one question, what would you ask him? If you could pray one prayer, what would that prayer be? If you could store everything up and you knew you had one moment with Jesus, what would you pray? And I'm asking you to be brave enough to pray that prayer on morning one. I'm asking you to be brave enough to take that prayer and declare it out and shout. And for some of you, it will be an absolute whisper, and that's okay. And for some of you, it will be a kind of cry that will come from your heart, and that's okay. And for some of you, it will be the first time you've prayed out loud, and that is absolutely okay. 
But I'm asking you, be bold, be brave, and come before God and say, God, if this is my one shot to speak to you, if this is my one shot, then I want to pray this. I want to know this. I want to ask you about that. I want you to turn me into this. I want to live my life for that. Go for it. Don't be like the Pharisee looking around the room wondering what everybody else is doing. Take a step back, hit your chest, and what does it mean for you to be honest before God? Because the good news is this, that what this tells us about God is he's not interested in religious performance that's empty. He's a God who doesn't look at the outward appearance but looks at the heart. He's not a God who holds a scorecard against all the things that you've done wrong. He's a God that wants to stare into your heart, wants a relationship with you, and wants to hear the honest cries that you've got. So right now, I'm going to ask you to stand in silence. We're going to do this in total silence, okay? Now, whoever you came with, just make a little huddle like we're playing football together, all right? Just make a small little huddle, twos, threes. Maybe fives, maybe six, that's okay. Not too big. If you're in a massive group, you can just split it out. You can separate it off. Don't talk just yet. Don't talk just yet. Here's, here's, the, here's the mistake we tend to make. Here's the mistake we tend to make. We talk about what we're going to pray about instead of just praying it. Here's the, we we kind of talk and we say, I, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about it. You're not praying to talk to the person next to you. You're praying to God. So I don't want you to, to, and if your youth leaders help me with this, facilitate this for me. I don't want you to go, I just need you guys to pray about this. I want one of you to be brave enough to start it off, and then I want you to go around. And I want you to pray. If you had one opportunity to pray one prayer before Jesus, what would you cry out for? What are you asking him for this week? And go for it. I'm going to count to three, and hopefully the whole room's going to be buzzing in prayer. We're going to hear some, some worship just gently playing in the background. All right. Let's go for it. Like we're before Jesus. Like we're like that guy beating our chest. We've got one chance. One two, three, let's pray. Let's pray. Go for it. Just go, just go a little bit simpler. 